right, well, good evening, 7 o'clock service. How are we? We can turn the lights up maybe just a hair so I can see people's faces. That's always nice. There we go. Hello. Um, I am going to pray, and then we'll get going. So if you uh, are next to someone, you guys can hold hands. If you think that, if you think that person's cute, you can squeeze their hands. <laughs> Lord, we thank you. Thanks for being here. Thank you for speaking. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word, God. We want to be good soil tonight, God, that can receive what you have to say. So we give you our ears and we, we listen. We give you attention tonight, Jesus. We ask that you speak and you equip us as only you can. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to uh, continue. I've been talking about the Bible. And uh, amen. amen. Who's excited about the Bible? That's good. Hopefully you're being honest. You know, I, I've, <laughs> I've been uh, kind of struggling even the last few weeks on this topic because I've found how much I feel this uh, almost unspoken expectation that church always needs to be about, you know, in being inspired. And realize how there's kind of this mold where even when, when I go to a church service, and, and obviously most of them I go to now I'm preaching at, is this recognition that I'm going to be inspired. And I remember I, was, I used to go to this big church periodically in uh, San Diego when I was down there, and uh, pastor's big, probably 15,000 person church, he's a really dynamic communicator, and he was like, yeah, God told me I'm going to preach on the Bible for the next year. <laughs> I don't think I went back for a year. And uh, <laughs> so I've been like, oh, Lord, I'm having to, like, you know, eat my own medicine now. So, uh, but, you know, seriously, in reflecting, I realized, like, Jesus, I want you to be very comfortable in our presence when we come to church on, uh, on Sundays and within Riverhouse that we're not coming with an expectation that you have to inspire us, but you can be yourself. And you can speak whatever you want. And if you want to instruct us, you can do that. If you want to rebuke us, you want to convict us, you want to encourage us, you want to inspire us, whatever it is. You know, if you want to mourn with us, if you're lamenting, you know, we want Jesus. And, you know, part of, you know, when you're at home with your family, uh, you just, you know how you always just, wherever you're at is actually where you're at. You know, you can be with your friends, be all happy, but where you're actually at will come out when you're at home because you're comfortable with those people. And I want Jesus to be so comfortable here uh, that he can communicate his heart. and He's not having to appease our agenda. Um, but we're coming with expectation, hungering for what it is that Jordan, uh, Jesus, not Jordan. That was one of those, uh, you know, Freudian slips right there, just trying to sneak it in. <laughs> so anyways, that's uh, just some of the thoughts I've had. Um, I want to talk specifically about narrative tonight. And how to engage with the Old Testament, Old Testament narratives, which is a fancy word for stories. And God is a storyteller. And really, the, it's the primary way that God communicates to us through the Bible. Most of the Bible is composed of narrative. Um, just for your own reference here, Genesis, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, 
Daniel, Jonah, Haggai, and then large portions of Exodus, Numbers, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Job, and then in the New Testament, Gospel, the Gospels, and Acts are all narrative, right? So they're stories. It's God communicating us through story form. And, you know, that can be kind of an interesting dichotomy when you start thinking how the Bible is authoritative. We've been talking how, you know, Scripture has authority. We're to be a people that come under that authority. And it can be kind of interesting to think of what, what exactly, how do you engage with an authoritative story, right? Because when we think of authority, uh, we, we're thinking of, you know, like, tell me what to do, or like in a law court, you know, like, the judge has the authority and he gives the pronouncement of what to do or what not to do or what you're, you know, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, I, I used this example the last couple of services, but, you know, in the, uh, whenever the staff at the church has a, um, anything above their approved budget, they'll send me an email sometimes like, hey, I need $1,500, I want to do this, da, 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 da. And, you know, the, the, in, in some ways it would be like, you know, so imagine I get an email requesting $1,500, and I, my reply is, uh, you know, this reminds me of a story. I didn't think of a time I was in Israel, and I ran out of money, and I was on the side of the road. I didn't think, I thought it was going to happen. Me and my brother were going to have to sleep in a park. This is a true story. I was, like, homeless, didn't have a cell phone. All the hotels were full. We were searching diligently trying to find a hotel room that we couldn't even afford in the first place. Finally, we gave up hope. I was on the, almost despairing. And these two men came, looked at me, and said, the Holy Spirit told me to get you a hotel room tonight. Took our bags, carried us, found a hotel, found the last room in that hotel, paid for the hotel room. Then we went to sleep, woke up to a knock on our door about 5.36 a.m. with an envelope and said, we bless you in the name of the Lord. We took this offering for you this morning. Never saw the two dudes again. So I hope that blesses you. <laughs> and then I send the email. It's like, is that a yes or a no? Right? That story is a true story. I just told you it has authority because that's a true story of God moving in my life. But that doesn't necessarily give the pronouncement or to the answer to that question. Does that make sense? Right, so a lot of times how we actually engage with narratives, with the stories in the Bible is, is we do that. We come asking questions or, ser or searching for answers that, that a story is never intended to give. Right? A story is a story. Right? It's a story of how God works through an with an individual. It's not necessarily what should have happened, what was supposed to happen, what could have happened. It just simply is what happened. And it's how God interacted in the midst and, and, and intervened in the affairs of man. And, um, you know, so I say this to kind of build the argument that as it pertains to the narrative portions of Scripture, we are not coming to them uh, to try to get uh, pronouncements or some types of decrees or to tell us how to behave. Right? That is not the primary function of narrative. There are times we can derive that from a story, but that's not the story primary function. Uh, a story's primary function is actually to teach us about God, to teach us about how he moves, about how he has worked uh, throughout time. Uh, we're actually coming to a place of wisdom. We're learning how he thinks. We're learning how he has engaged. We're learning what God's like. Right. And 
You know, just a, a story to further accentuate this point. You know, how many of you know the, with Gideon? All right, you've read that story? All right, Gideon, he's hiding in the wine press, and the angel comes, and he, you know, doesn't really believe what the angel says, and so he throws out a, throws out a fleece, right? So, and the fleece, it was like, you know, if the dew's on it in the morning, then I'll know that God's speaking to me, and then it happens, and he does it the other way. Well, now if I know if the dew's not on it, da-da-da-da, right? So how many of you, in the course of your spirituality, at some point you've come to a crossroads where you're like, I'm not really sure what's going on, but I'm a student of the Bible. I'm going to throw out a fleece. Who's done that? Right? You're like, you know, if I'm supposed to go, I'm going to get 300 bucks tomorrow in the mail. Right? Or whatever it is. We like make up a fleece and we throw it out. Right? We think we're being super spiritual, biblical, awesome. Well, the, the problem with that is that when we're reading the story of Gideon, there's a few things that are interesting. And the first is that Gideon is staring face to face with an angel when he throws his fleece out. Right? So he's like beholding an angel saying, I don't believe you. God's not moving in Israel, which I think is like the most stupid comment I've ever heard. It's like, dude, you are staring at an angel. Right? Then he decides to throw the fleece out, which is like probably an act of unbelief. Right? So if we zoom out of the story, I think God's trying to show, yeah, I found a really scared man. <laughs> And brought deliverance through him to Israel so that you would see it's really not about man and man's faith even. It's about me and my power, right? So the problem is, we'll read the narrative. We're like, oh, well, Gideon threw out the fleece. I should too. And I'd just like to suggest that might not be the most faith-filled action. Are you following me? Like, it, that story doesn't necessarily say what Gideon, what Gideon did was good. It just says that's what Gideon did. Right? So that's just one example. I hope that kind of is resonating with you. That when we're coming to a story, we're coming simply to learn about God, not necessarily to get, you know, behavioral uh, direction. That may be the case, um, but it may not be. Uh, we, we have to learn um, how to approach the stories. And I'm going to share, I think there's a slide back there. Suze, if you're back there, if you could show it. Um, I just want you to see it, and I'm gonna. We're gonna do an, an all church email this week, and you'll be able to see this, and because it's a lot. Anybody want to read that real quick? Uh, we'll send that out, but it's ten principles. You can leave that up for a minute. Um, but it's ten principles to help us engage with Old Testament narrative in a way uh, that will help avoid some of the pitfalls of the interpretation process. Um, I want to. Uh, you know, continue on this theme, though, and say that though a story may not speak uh, specifically to give us, you know, what we're supposed to do, because, um, again, we're coming to read the scriptures as an act of worship, not necessarily just that they can speak to me in my life, right? That, that sometimes can turn into an agenda where I need, to, I need the word for me. I'm actually coming to recognize and learn about who God is, how God works, how God gets into the nitty-gritty of human brokenness and, and brings change and brings transformation, okay? Um, but story, though uh, it's not this prescribed list of things, it is very powerful, and that is because stories are instruments of interpretation, right? So say that, instruments of interpretation. All right, so what the heck does that mean? Anybody? 
Anybody want to come preach? <laughs> Just let that awkwardness kind of sit in. <laughs> Sorry, it's getting late. So they're instruments of interpretation. What I mean by that is stories are the things that human beings use to actually process and interpret life's events. They're how we understand what's taking place. We're how we make sense of is it good, is it bad, um, and then what do I do in light of it, right? And there used to be social construct theories that basically went like this. This is what people thought. You have an, an event, a circumstance, good, bad, independent, whatever it is, and then you have that, that triggers an emotional response that then you behave out of, right? But that's, that, that really is too simplistic and it's not true because we've all met someone that has had a terminal fatal illness. They've gotten the illness and then they operate in a way that exudes hope, joy, life. You're like, wow, it's so inspiring. Who has seen someone like that? Right? We hate the sickness, I hate cancer, I hate all those things, but the, sometimes the way people walk through it is exemplary and actually releases grace and hope to people that are you know, not going through sev as such a severe crisis. Right? But then we also have seen people that have the exact same cancer, illness, whatever it is, and then operate in a way that is miserable, angry, mad, hurting. Right? Same event, very different emotional responses and then behaviors out of that response. And that is because what lies between an emotional event and then the behavior and, or, or the circumstance and then the emotion and the behavior is the story that we tell that actually interprets this event in a way that will lead to what I'm experiencing and what I'm feeling and what I'm doing out of it. Right? And to just give you a little... Uh, like a little superficial made-up story, right? Imagine Joey. He's a 16-year-old. He just got his driver license. He's driving down the road. He looks over, and there's a bunch of cop cars, and he sees his best friend's car upside down, and his car, his buddy's standing next to the car with all the police around him. And as he's driving, he looks over and quickly says to himself, what an idiot, and keeps on driving, right? That, that story, what an idiot, Joey used to actually distance himself from the vulnerability and maybe the fear that he's experiencing when he sees his friend like that. And he doesn't want to have to think, that could have been me. So instead, no, no, he's just an idiot. I'm not an idiot. That'll never happen to me. Cruise on by, never think about it again. Right? That story created that emotional response in Joey. Ten minutes later, Joey's mom's driving by, sees the kid standing next to the car upside down, and her immediate thought is, that could have been my Joey. She's flooded with panic, anxiety, picks up the phone, starts dialing, calls, 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 till she finally gets a hold of her son, and then rests, and when she realizes, he's okay. Are you following me? Same event, two different stories, two different emotional responses. Right? This is true in the micro, this is true in the macro. The stories that we tell ourselves, the narrative that we're buying into, actually has influence and dictates how we respond to life. How we interpret the things that we're walking through. Do we interpret them in such a way that I maintain hope and joy and peace and purpose in the midst of what I'm facing? Or do I interpret things in a way that brings negativity and sadness and depression and, and hopelessness and despair and anger? Right? It's actually the stories we tell that will dictate those things. It is not 
what happens to us. We will all experience pain. We will all experience hardship. We will all experience confusion, questioning, disappointment. That is what it means to be human in this life, in this broken state. We will all experience that. It is the story that we buy into that will dictate and determine how we respond to the difficulties of life and if we walk in a way that produces life and hope and joy and ultimately the kingdom of God or if we just kind of, you know, waltz our way through and poor me, victim, whatever. Right? So the stories are powerful. Right? This is why God likes to use them. God wants to get his story woven into your mind, your thoughts, your paradigms, your persona, so that as you engage with life, you're actually engaging from his perspective with an awareness that this is how God works. This is what he did. This is what he will continue to be faithful to do. Because the story of God is not just history, though it is history. It is also has the power and it is the authenticated authority of God to reproduce itself in your life, through your life, and all throughout the world. Right? The testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy, which is saying that what God has done, he will continue to do because he is the I am who was the same on the first day of creation as he will on the first day of eternity or whatever that means when we get there. It's already happening. Right? God is pure in heart. He has never changed. He has one intention. He has had one motive with humanity from day one, and that is to have a healthy family that is exuding joy, peace, love, goodness, kindness, mercy, self-control, humility, heaven on earth. He has one purpose, and it has never changed. He has been fixated on one story all throughout humanity. And we are living in a day and age where there are many competing narratives that are fighting for your airspace. They want to dominate and take residence within the real estate of your own mind because that what you believe, the narrative you listen to, will dictate the life that you live. Narratives are instruments of interpretation. I just got followed on Instagram this week by some something atheist page. It was like ninja atheist or something. If that's you, God loves you. I don't, you know, I'm not an atheist. I thought it was funny. Someone was following me with that. But I looked in like the second or third uh, post that they had because I was just curious. So I clicked on their thing. And the second or third post was like a little like Sunday school picture of Jesus holding a bunch of kids. And uh, the caption said, uh, it was, uh, oh, I love you all so much. That's why I let six million of you die from starvation each year. That is a competing narrative. Right? And we can get offended sometimes. The Christians say, well, no, that's not true. Well, why is it not true? What, what is the narrative you have to combat that one? Right? Uh, a few um, months ago, Susanna preached and talked about how um, in social revolutions, they start by the words that one person speaks expressing some type of discontentment they have about the social order. They express that. They create a paradigm that other people draw onto. They begin to express it, and it starts like a wildfire. Right? So our words can actually create worlds. They actually create ecosystems that change the way that we live life. Right? So in a world that is full of competing narratives, 
Is Jesus letting millions of babies starve each year because they don't have enough food? No, I don't believe that, but it's not enough just to say, I don't believe that. I actually need to be in touch with the narrative of God that has had one purpose, and it is a good purpose from the day he created humanity up until this day. I need to be so versed in that narrative that when all the competing things come, I can say, no, this is the narrative, and I'm going to combat that that's paradigm that's offered with a new paradigm that is infused with the wisdom and the hope and the goodness of the God and the Father of us all. Is that cool? So it is extremely important that we are versed and we are, know and love the narrative that we've received in Scripture because the difference between Scripture and all the other narratives is that the Scripture has authority because this is God's book. This is God's story. This is God saying, this is me. And he chooses to speak through humans, but it, it was his initiation that has gifted this. So as Christians... You know, sometimes I think we get too localized in our thinking. It's like, oh man, I'm a part of River House. It's an awesome church. It's amazing. It's so cool. God's been doing this crazy thing in two years and da 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 And it's like, yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing. But we have an inheritance that now goes back like 5,000 years. We've inherited a story that is so big on the day that we say yes and come into Jesus and allow his spirit to make us sons and daughters. We have inherited a family story about the God and Father of us all. Right? And, and sometimes it's like we've neglected the story. We've just kind of like, oh, yeah, that's a great story. That's what the Jews and, yeah, I read Genesis like a little bit and da 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 And it's like, that's Old Testament, whatever. But, you know, a lot of people say it's just Old Testament. They actually haven't read the New Testament either. But they just say it because it sounds better. It's like, oh, it's socially cool. It's just the Old Testament. Uh, right? No, it's the book we've been given. And it's God's self-revelation to humanity. We need to know the story. We need to know the narrative. I'm talking about Old Testament tonight. We need to know the Old Testament. I hope if you haven't read it before, I hope you're feeling real convicted tonight. All right. Amen. See you next week. So I'm going to just open up. I'm going to open up Genesis um, just a bit here. Just, just an example of what I'm talking about. And I'm hoping that we can just have a moment of worshiping God in awe of who he is as a good father. Right? And there's something about when you are just witnessing greatness, it, it, it's, it's, magne it's magnetic. Right? I, I love, sometimes I YouTube binge, I'll watch like Roger Federer highlights. Just because it blows my mind, right? And I love watching Tiger Woods play golf. And I loved watching Michael Jordan. And I love watching Steph Curry shoot three-pointers. And I love watching anybody that's a great, right? Whatever, you know, arts, genre, whatever you're talking about. There's something captivating about watching a greatness, right? And it's no different. This is God revealing his greatness in the earth, right? And, and, and if we can just, just like... Take a moment, I think, as we approach Scripture and be like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> you are amazing. He is an amazing father. He is the perfect father, right? And there are stories in here that are like, blow my mind. Like, you know, I, I shared this last service, and I think I misspoke slightly, but I'll fix it this service, is, is Judah, right? The line of the tribe of Judah, 
right? The, 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 the lineage of Jacob, the, the, or the, the, you know, the, one of the 12 tribes of Israel that uh, Jesus ended up coming from. You know, Judah was like a terrible dude. Like he, he's with prostitutes and did all kinds of, he was like very not good man. Right? And, and you see in Genesis in the portion, chapters at the end of 38 through 44, and you see God actually working on a man named Judah in such a way that he so much delights and there's this change of character and God gets into the mess with an immoral man and then chooses to, to release and bring Jesus through his lineage. You know, you're just like, dang, like you're good. How'd you do that? You know, and like we're looking for a children's pastor right now. And I haven't been on the Ada County jail website looking for candidates. You know, I, ha I haven't been looking for people that are doing a bunch of crazy things. It's like, yeah, that's my man. I'm just really looking for someone real messed up that we can get in and watch this beautiful transformation. You know, like, that is not how I think, right? But God is so beautiful. He is such a good dad. It's like, how did you use this mess of humanity to, to do something so awesome? Okay, you get to see God at work, and he's a great. You know, I, and, and just before I, I, I jump in, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about just creation tonight. Uh, the creation account, Jennifer, Genesis 1 and 2, not Jennifer. <laughs> talk to her later. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. I do not know a Jennifer, I swear. <laughs> uh, but before we do get into Genesis, uh, you know, I, I just want to make a, a few uh, comments, and that is, the first is, I wish we had time to go, you know, story after story after story and, you know, book after book after book. Uh, we don't. That would take, honestly, probably the next year. Um, my point is, I'm just going to try to start the process and then hopefully trigger that in your own, that we can begin engaging uh, with narratives. Um, uh, you know, so it's a little, you know, we get to see God for, for who he is. And... Uh, you know, so it's a little almost I feel inadequate because I'm giving such a small portion, um, but I'm hoping that it will at least set precedent for how we begin engaging with the, uh, the scriptures going forward. And you know, Jesus is the rabbi. He's the good rabbi, a good teacher, and we, he's instructing us. So just allow him to instruct you in this season um, as it pertains to coming to the word of God. And I think that there'll be a lot of fruit that comes from it. I had someone that came up to me last week, you know, after preaching on exegesis and hermeneutics. Just, you know, exegesis, you want to say it one more time? Yeah, not a fun word. Hermeneutics, right? You know, that's just what you think of when you really just want to get stirred in your heart, you know? Uh, but I had someone come up to me last week. They're like, dude, that message was fire. I was like, dude, you're lying. No, it was not. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I gave you a bunch of dry wood. That's what that message was. It's like, and my hope is you're going to take that home and build your own fire. Right? I was like, but do not flatter me and tell me that was fire. It was on exegesis and hermeneutics, man. It's like, I did not know I was coming to seminary. 
But that's okay, right? We're being instructed in the Lord. And so take this as dry wood and use this to cultivate in, in, as you're engaging with the Word of God. All right? So, so we'll look at Genesis here and just going to offer a few thoughts uh, that, that hopefully we'll, we'll get to see the master at work here. And just worship God. I, it, doesn't, it doesn't need to speak to us in our own life. But just let's just behold God and the goodness of who he is. And, you know, when, when we look at Genesis and when we look at really any scripture, as I've been arguing the last few weeks, is we're, we're trying to find literal meaning, which is what did it mean to the author and, and what did it mean to its original audience. And so uh, the author of Genesis is Moses. And he's speaking to Israel post-Egypt. Uh, post-Exodus, and uh, Moses is trying, he's with a people that have been traumatized by slavery in Egypt, and then also then through this whirlwind experience, literally, of getting liberated from the Egyptian rule, and they find themselves in the wilderness, and Moses is uh, formally articulating the story of this people group, and he's trying to answer the existential questions for them of who are you and what is your role in the story of God on the earth? And he very intentionally tries to link them back to Abraham and then Abraham back to Adam and then Adam to God. So he's trying to draw this line that you are you have a special calling as part of God, the creator's plan in the earth. Right. And recognize that we come from this this group. Right. We come from this calling. We've inherited this story. Uh, it's amazing. And. Uh, in Genesis, the big question uh, usually centers around is Genesis history or is Genesis myth? And when we're talking about history, we're talking about did it actually happen or Adam and Eve real? Is it a seven-day creation? Dot, 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 dot. And, you know, conservative theology would uphold that Genesis is more historical. And uh, liberal theology would uh, veer more towards the sides that Genesis is a myth. And when I say myth, uh, it's not a myth in that it's made up. Uh, or, you know, it's a myth in the sense of that was the genre of the literature of that time. It was mythology. And I'm not going to try to step on too many toes, but hopefully rattle some questions tonight. And I would like to propose to you that Genesis is both. It is both history and myth. Um, it is history because the text itself is very explicit and trying to show us that Moses is trying to build a historical argument linking Israel to the Creator. Right? So there's all these genealogies. And so I do not think uh, that it is uh, naive or simple-minded to believe that Adam and Eve were real people, that there was a real couple in the garden that really sinned. And I don't think it's naive uh, to think that it's God literally created the earth. Uh, I believe that, that Moses is, uh, uh, there's, there's a historicity uh, to what's being communicated within the text. At the same time, I would like to say that it does not, and Genesis will never offer a complete depiction of how God created the earth in a way that will satisfy the questions of the modern, scientific, Western mind. Right? That would be reading something, that would be a non-literal reading of this passage to try to superimpose our scientific questionings, modernity's questions into this. That's not literal because that would not have meant that to Moses or to the readers. Does that make sense? So on questions like, is it actually seven literal days? We don't know. <laughs> we never will. Right? And that might not satisfy what you want to hear, but we're not because that wasn't the intent of writing Genesis. Right? Where did Cain find a wife? 
right? You know, because he, he killed Abel. Where's the wives? <laughs> Where's Jennifer? <laughs> uh, we don't know, right? That's not the point of why this was written. It wasn't to give us all these details, right? And the other thing that Genesis will never give us is uh, a satisfactory timeline between uh, Adam and Abraham, right? There's all these generations, but, you know, like, that's not as exact as you would think because, you know, like, Jesus is called the son of David, even though Jesus was born, like, way, way, way after David. So on those genealogies, it says the son of son of son of son. Those could have been a lot of generations skipped in between and still just saying, well, they were the son of. Does that make sense? Right, so you just, again, we can't look at this like this was a composed Western scientific document that you can read alongside your biology book. That is simply trying to read our culture into a book that was not speaking to that, you know? So, um, but that being said, I think there is still uh, within the text itself uh, a very clear um, trying to build a historical argument. And that's why I would say that that is not, um, you know, that's not, that's not naive or ungrounded. Um, and at the same time, I would say, uh, yes, Genesis also has mythology, um, mythological elements to it. And what I mean by that is that was the genre of that day. And you can read, there were, um, in, in the ancient Near Eastern context, there were a number of religions, that stories of a flood, stories that have striking similarities to Genesis. They had their own stories of a flood that has striking similarities to Noah. S literary, literary elements were very similar. Uh, and, you know, you can hear this sometimes and say, well, that makes me question if the Bible's actually inspired. Like, it, I thought this just poofed out of nowhere. And boom, it's its own story. You know, and, 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 you know, at first that can kind of sound compelling, but, you know, just raise your hand. Does, has God ever spoken to you in a language you don't understand, or does he speak to you in English? English? Who, who, who has he come in Hebrew to? <laughs> right? Like, why? Why does he speak to you in English? Because you understand it, Right? We only understand, we, 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 God will not speak to us in a way we don't understand, right? So like a lot of times I hear people like, oh, I went to this movie and God spoke to me through the movie. I'm like, that's cool, right? But like God doesn't speak in a vacuum. It doesn't just kind of like poof words out of nowhere, right? He speaks within historical humanity, right? So there are stories that are very similar, have similar genre, but at the same time, if you read those stories next to Genesis, you will have your mind, I actually think, ever more enlightened with how truly inspired uh, this book is. Right? They're, they're, they are vastly different. In all the other creation accounts, the, there's war. The gods are fighting. There's, there's elements where the waters are there, but the waters are dark, and they're a god, and they're in conflict. And human, human, humans are created to um, be subservient to the gods and do their bidding. And it's just dark and war, and there's no peace. And it's not a real pretty picture, right? And then you get into Genesis, and you see a good god. Who, who, who delights over each day of the creation, who speaks from peace, who rests on the seventh day, who creates humans in his own image, who bestows value and dignity, who gives them purpose and says, be fruitful and multiply and, and gives them, you know, opportunity to go and, and fulfill a calling in the earth. Does that make sense? 
And so they're very different, even though there's similarity. So I'd say that to say is Genesis has um, mythological elements, and we should not be afraid of recognizing that as Christians. We can't just stick our head in the sand and act like this just came out of nowhere, right? Um, so you can do your own research on that, but I just kind of wanted to prick you and get you thinking. Um, a good prick, soft prick, nice one. Feels kind of good. So what's the point? That's what I don't want you to miss. Sometimes we get in these huge arguments on this and that. Is it seven days? Is it this? Is that? That's not the point, right? The point is that God is creating a temple for himself in the earth, and he's creating a tabernacle. He's creating a dwelling place, and how every temple has something that reflects the image of that God. He creates us as the crown of his creation, puts us in this garden paradise, and 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 really makes it clear that the creator's intent was always about creating family. It was covenantal love. It says, let us make man in our image. And so we were made from family for family. Right? And again, this is being written to answer existential questions of a people wandering through the wilderness trying to figure out who they are and what they're called to do in life. And I believe that this story still has the power to write a narrative that can help us understand the existential questions of why am I here? What am I searching for? What is my soul desiring? We were created from family for family. That was always God's intent. It was out of the overflow and the excess of the affection that he has within himself that he created us to be located in the very center of that affection that would last forever. And as a good father can do, he built, he, he worked and worked and for six days and it was, uh, it was, there, it was, and it says in Genesis 2 that the earth was dry. It was void. It was, and, and it was, uh, it was, there, it wasn't cultivated, but then man is created and put in this garden. And then on the seventh day, it says that God rested. And so on the first six days, at the end of each day, it said there was evening, then morning, evening, then morning, evening, then morning to signify the end of the day. But on the seventh day, we never get that. We never see the end of the day, which would suggest that God has actually ceased from his work and he's now entered into the rest and the joy of a father who created this garden that is to be a perfect place, but then he had its boundaries on it and they created his sons and his daughters of eight for you to go create. I want you to extend the boundaries of this garden so that paradise fills the whole earth and that we can be one big healthy family. Right? That was God's intention. And then it's like he finishes all of that. He sits back. He's like, it's very good. Right? And he chooses to reveal this as the beginning of his story because he wanted us to know very fundamentally, this is why you're here. Right? The questions that we often jump to is, why is there pain? Why is there suffering? Why are children starving? Why are there these... You know, I don't understand, I don't understand. And yeah, there's a lot of mess. You know, but God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before you get into the frustrations and the mess, step back and see this is my story. This is my intention and it has never changed. Right? And then as New Testament believers, we read the story of what was written, you know, in, in the scriptures to, to Israel, to its audience. We want the literal grounded meaning. But then we also need to step back and start viewing that through the lens of Jesus because Jesus is perfect theology. And we see in the life of Jesus that he actually redeemed this calling, which was forfeited in sin. And he came and he said, now I've created a family once again called the church. You have the keys to the kingdom and your prayer and your mandate is to bring earth or heaven into earth. 
right, to, to restore and redeem and make a paradise once again. And so we see these consistent themes, right? But we, uh, I'm just giving you like the introduction of God's story to humanity. It's, it's I am good and I created you to enjoy life, you know, and, and, and be in the midst of a family. And uh, I think that's beautiful. I think that's a story that I, that, that I want to roll with. You know, that's the covenant that he's made with man. And, and we don't have time tonight. It's getting late. Um, but, uh, you know, we could jump into the fall where sin enters and, you know, perverts and breaks this and causes a whole mess of pain. Uh, and then we see the story of Israel where God jumps in and begins using the, uh, the most unqualified and the younger brothers and, and the women that are barren and the down and outs and the people that you would never expect to use to start writing a story of redemption in the earth where God is trying uh, to, again, redeem and restore this mandate. But it's, 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 it's important that this is where we start. You know, it start with this God, right, this good intention. Right? And, 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 and why I just offer this, just practically, you say, well, you know, okay, that might not speak into your, like, tomorrow. I might not need to go to Monday and be like, what exactly does that speak to me about tomorrow? Right? It doesn't. Right? But what it's doing as you're recognizing the story of God is it's actually equipping your mind so that when you walk out tomorrow and, you know, you, you start wrestling with the other narratives. You start confronting other narratives in life that say, you know, uh, there's no point to life. Everything's hopeless. Everything's vain. It's always going to be suffering, pain, whatever, right? Like people can have all this stuff and it's easy. Oh, America's lost or, you know, it's all hopeless or we need to take my money and put it in somewhere else or whatever you hear. You're like, no, no, no. That narrative is actually inconsistent with the narrative that I know that my God's writing because that's, that's how he started and he's never changed. Are you following me? So you're actually poising yourself to actually effectively engage with life and maintain, I'm walking this story. I'm walking in his story, right? This is when you lay down your life, you'll find it. You you lay down your story that you're the center of and just start focusing on his story that he's been authoring across generations. Pretty soon you get lost and this one goes away, the self-centeredness and all the self-loathing and feeling pity party and bad things and whatever. And I'm just so consumed with the story of God that I just find myself in it. And I'm so equipped that whenever I see it, it's like, no, 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 oh, no, trust me, man. You don't want that story anymore. Let me show you this one. No, 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 you don't want it. Let me show you this one. No, well, no, you don't want that. Let me show you this one. It's so good, right, because it has authority. It has the power not just to tell you what happened, but it has the power to transform your mind so that you can be a part of seeing it reproduce and authenticate again and again and again and again. Amen? Isn't that cool? Don't we serve a good God? All right, so that's a, a little snippet. Um, I, I wish we had more time, and uh, just a, a little... Um, invitation, I guess, is, uh, did anybody see the, the Facebook Live video we did this last week? Anybody? Um, so I, we practiced, we just did what I preached on last week, and um, I, I think it's a good forum in some ways to communicate things that are better than preaching, so we're going to do a series, probably three more of those in the next uh, week or two, 
um, on different genres of scripture and just help you engage with uh, the story of the Old Testament and then uh, begin jumping into the New Testament as well. And so as that slide I showed you earlier, we're going to send you an email out with those 10 principles and then we're going to uh, do a, a few more of those videos. So if you haven't, if you could just follow Riverhouse on Facebook and then if you're wanting to be equipped more and, and learn, uh, you can jump on and there'll be about 20 minute, 20 to 30 minute videos. And uh, we just want to practically equip you um, to be a people of the book, right? This is a beautiful inheritance that we've received. And uh, I just want to be so in the river of God's story that nothing else really seems to, to affect me. So uh, if you guys can stand up, I'm going to pray for us. If you're on the ministry team, you can come forward right now as I'm praying. Yeah, Father, I thank you for your sons and daughters. God, I thank you that you're wanting to instruct us and teach us even more what you are really, 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 really like. God, we want to, to learn. God, we want to learn what you're like. We want to learn how you've engaged and how you operate with humans and how you've been a master at work. God, an author that has been using uh, humanity in, in some of our just most broken uh, states, God, to do things that only you can do. God, I thank you for each one here that you have called and anointed to be actors in this story, God, and the continuation of bringing your redemption into the earth. And uh, just make us a people of the book, God. Open our minds, give us wisdom and revelation so that we can engage in a way that brings transformation and and really just in awe of who you are, God. You are so amazing. <laughs> you, you are so amazing, God. And we just want to marvel at seeing you write this beautiful, beautiful story that no human being could ever imagine, but only could be conceived by God himself. We just love you, Father. We thank you for choosing us, for loving us, and for knitting us into this beautiful family that you've been creating since day one. We love you and we bless you tonight. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.